the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. You're complete in Christ. I know this because Scripture says, My God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory through my spouse, right? No. Through Christ Jesus, you crazy people. Scripture says, I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has given you that ability to find your completeness in Him. Matter of fact, the reason this is so important is because we're sinners. We don't have the ability. I heard about this couple. They were getting married, and unbeknownst to the two of them, both of them were scared out of their minds. They had a problem that nobody knew about, and they didn't know what to do as they headed toward that first day of marriage. So that young groom, he went to his dad. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm scared out of my mind. I don't know what I'm going to do. Dad said, what's wrong? He said, I got a problem. He said, what's the problem? He said, I've got the smelliest feet you've ever smelt. It's bad. I don't know if this came from you or mom, but it's bad. He said, I'm afraid that that first morning we're going to wake up and my new wife's going to smell my feet and she's going to say, forget it. I can't do this. Dad said, I got you. He said, I got this thing figured out. He said, here's what I want you to do. Just put on your socks. Don't take off your socks when you get in that bed. Don't take your socks off ever around your new wife. In fact, when you get up in the morning, you take a shower and then immediately you put on socks. All right, you got it. He said, I think I can do that. Unbeknownst to him, his wife was having a similar conversation with her mom. She said, Mom, I don't know if I can do this. Why? What's the problem? Well, I don't know if you've realized this, but I've got the worst breath that you've ever smelled. Mom said, really? Must have come from your father. But anyway, <laughs> she said, yeah, people used to make fun of me. I mean, I got bad breath. I don't know what I'm going to do. My husband's going to wake up on that first morning and say, ah, what, what have I done? Mom said, I got you. Here's what I want you to do. You got to set your alarm. You got to always wake up first. You wake up before your new husband. You run to that bathroom. You brush your teeth. And then you climb back in bed and you poke him on the shoulder and you say, good morning, honey. She said, I think I can do that. So they get married and everything's fine for about the first six months. Until one day, the man wakes up first. First time this has happened. And he looks down at the bottom of the bed and one of his socks is missing. He thought, oh, no, and because he was moving so much, he startled his young bride. She turned over and without thinking said, what's going on? And he said, oh, my goodness, I'm afraid you've swallowed my sock. <laughs> you see, here's the deal. Got to lighten this up a little bit. But we're smelly, stinky people. We're not able to complete one another. We're just not. That's a myth. There's another myth, though, 
and it is you compete with me. So when we realize we got problems, we just begin to fight, and it, it begins to be a struggle. And all of our married life is just a struggle, seeing who can win. And, and we have arguments, and we get historical with one another. You say, Pastor, didn't you mean hysterical? No, I meant historical. We begin to say, well, remember when you did that, and remember when you done this, and remember when you did that? And it just becomes a competition, and we're like another young bride. She was preparing for her wedding day, and she was scared that she could even walk down the aisle, and her mom was standing there, and she said, honey, in just a minute, those doors are going to open, and your dad's going to be there by your side. He's going to be walking you down that aisle. You've got to go forward. She said, I don't think I can do it. She said, I just want you to think about three things. She said, you're going to open those doors, and you're going to see that aisle, the center aisle of the church. You're just going to walk down that aisle. Just think about that aisle. And then down at the end of that aisle, you're going to see the front of the church. You and your future husband are going to be standing in front of the altar. You, you just think about that altar that's at the front of the church. And when you get there, everything's going to stop. And before your dad gives you away, we're going to sing a hymn. And you just think about that hymn that we're going to sing that reminds you of God's good. You think about that aisle, and you think about that altar, and you think about that hymn. You got it. She said, I got it. And that bride, the doors opened. Her dad was on her side. She began walking down. But she didn't realize it. But she was just saying out loud as she walked, aisle, altar, him, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. And everybody started laughing like about three of you are because they began to hear what she was saying. And that's how a lot of people enter marriage. I'll alter him. I'll alter her. I'll change him. I'll change her. And it becomes that third myth. We think I can correct you. And I just want to remind you, if you're married, it's not your job to correct or change your spouse. You can't do that. How about say that with me? Say, I can't do that. You're right. You can't. You don't have the ability. Marriage instead is a picture of God's covenant love intended to bring him glory. It's God's covenant love intended to bring him glory. So can marriage ever end? Is it ever okay for it to stop? What did Jesus say? Well, he was answering a question that was referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Let me read Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. It's the law of Moses. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something, what? Something, something anything, indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her, he can send her from his house. Now, what was Moses really doing here? I, I want you to see he was actually trying to protect women. Because what was taking place is men were divorcing their wives for whatever reason they wanted to do. There were two schools of, of Jewish thought, two different rabbis. One was a rabbi named Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-I-A-I. And, and he taught... And so the Jews that followed him believed that the only reason a marriage could end was because of sexual sin. But then there was a rabbi that people began to like. Probably smiled a lot. Probably made them feel good. And he taught that you could divorce your spouse for any reason, particularly the men. So, for example, they documented in the law, if you thought your wife's head looked like a gourd, you could say, I can't do this anymore. And you can just get divorced. They literally wrote in the law the equivalent of this. If your wife burnt the toast, you could say, how's a person supposed to eat this? 
and you could issue a divorce. You could literally divorce for any reason. And so Jesus wasn't commending divorce in any setting. He was conceding to it in a specific setting that is consistent both with what he says in Matthew 19 and with what you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the teaching of the Apostle Paul. What is it he says? Well, he said, here's a reason where it's still going to be hard and it's not helpful, but that divorce may be necessary. You know what it was? It's a word that he had just used when he said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you lust in your heart, it was that word porneo. So Jesus is saying, if there's sexual immorality and it's unrepentant and it just continues, then I concede. Divorce may be an option. Why? Not because it's part of God's divine plan. No, he was saying it needs to be rare. It needs to be as radical as the amputation of a limb on your body. Because that's really what happens in a divorce. It's an amputation. You know how I know that? Because for this reason, a man shall leave his mother, leave his father, and the two become one. And when you become one, how's the only way you unbecome one? You sever it. That's an amputation. And Jesus is saying sometimes the pain of unrepented adultery is so hurtful. It's hard for a marriage to survive. The Apostle Paul does add a, another thing that he says in 1 Corinthians 7. What was happening when people began to follow Jesus, sometimes people both had been pagans. A husband or a wife begins to follow Jesus, and the spouse begins to say, what is this cult that you're a part of? I don't want any of that. And so they would leave. What do we call that? Abandonment. And so Paul would say, we understand that if, if you've been abandoned by your spouse who's an unbeliever, you know, then a divorce may take place. In, in our society, because this has become more and more prominent, we do feel like it's necessary to say a third thing that fits into these two categories. And, and that would be abuse. And I want to be very clear. And this can be both of a man or of a woman. Unfortunately, in our society, it seems to be most often two women. If you're in a setting where you're undergoing physical or sexual abuse, I, I, I believe your spouse has abandoned the covenant love of God. And the first thing we would say to you before you make any long-term decision is get out and get to a safe place and hear us as a church say we want to facilitate that anytime we can we we don't want you staying in that setting of abuse divorce is a consequence it's not a convenience that's why jesus would talk about the two becoming one remember he was talking to religious leaders and they were looking for loopholes, right? So the Jesus way is never about what's the easiest way out. What we're learning from this message in Jesus is that he's always raising the standard. So covenant love is a love 
that has a huge standard of sacrifice. That's why when it's described by Paul, the job of the husband, you know what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 for people like me who are married? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ show his love for the church? He died. I mean, that's covenant love. You know, as, as kids, we would always try to find a way out. So I don't know where this started. I don't think my parents taught me this, but there was a way we kind of minimized dishonesty. Maybe you did this too. Like sometimes if you were talking to his friends, you might stand like this and they couldn't see you, but behind your back, you had your fingers crossed. And they'd say, are you telling the truth? Yes, sir. Yeah, I am. And somehow somebody had informed us that if you crossed your fingers, you could say whatever you want. It didn't matter. And that's kind of where they had gotten in this understanding of marriage. But marriage is not a contract that you can get out of just because your expectations are not met. It's a three-way covenant with God designed to display his glory to a watching world. You understand the difference between a contract and a covenant? A contract says... You do your part, I'll do mine. You meet my expectations, then I'll belly up to the bar. You don't do your part, don't count on me. I'm out of here. That's a contract. Any of you got a contract with Verizon, T1, something like that? Got a contact with Frontier? Lord help you if you do. (laughs) You ever tried to get out of those contracts? You can call these places because you need help. You don't like what you're paying. And you can literally stay on hold forever. And then it clicks and cancels. It makes a preacher want to say bad words. I mean, it is not, it is not good. But I figured something out. I figured out how to get them to answer the phone. All you've got to say, first time you can say something, all you got to say is cancel. I need to cancel my subscription. And it's like, an alarm goes off somewhere in about five seconds. Someone, hello, Mr. Purvis, yes. Uh, you want to talk about can Let me see if I can help you. Let me see if you can help me. That's the way I talk to them. You know why? Because it's a contract. I'm not spending Thanksgiving with the people at Frontier. I don't have a love loss for them. It's a contract. And some of you relate to your relationships that way. Remember Hosea? The story of Hosea was that (laughs) your faithfulness in covenant love is not dependent upon whether or not it's reciprocated. That's why when I do premarital counseling, everybody gets a book called Sacred Marriage. And the, the primary principle in that book is marriage is not designed as much to make you happy as it is to make you holy. And you know why? Because as hard as it is to understand, marriage is temporal. It's not the end all. It's not the goal. Our goal is eternity with God in heaven. So we have to change the way we're thinking. And by the way, some of us need to change the way we're talking about around the generation behind us. I heard this little girl, somebody's telling her the story of Snow White, and they got to that point where Snow White was kissed, and magical things began to happen, and the person says, you know what happened next? And the little girl says, yeah, they lived happily ever after, and they said, no, they got married. (laughs) 
I'm not saying that marriage can't be happy. It certainly should be. But that's not the end goal. It's a temporary means to an eternal end. It's not about your personal satisfaction and pleasure. Because we've already learned that another person can't constantly bring you satisfaction and pleasure. Marriage is about glorifying God by putting on a picture of his covenant love with you. And in case you're thinking, well, I'm single or I'm something else and this doesn't apply to me, Jesus went on to say that this idea of covenant faithfulness is true in every area of our life. That's his whole talk about oaths where he says, don't swear, don't say this. He's saying since God is a covenant-keeping God, his expectation is that we become covenant-keeping people, that we say what we mean and we mean what we say. Again, there's some silly stuff I learned as a child. I know I'm getting old. Maybe you didn't do this, but sometimes somebody say, you telling the truth? And I would say, yeah. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Anybody else ever say that? I mean, who thought that up? That's awful. And Jesus was saying, no, you don't need any excuse. You don't need to swear on your mama's grave. Who came up with that? It's terrible. You don't swear in Jesus' name. No, you live in such a way that your word, your commitment is meaningful. Every area of our life is to be influenced by this. That's why in our church, we have covenant membership. When I was growing up, you just joined the church. You walked down, shook the hand of the preacher and said, I'm here to join the church. And if it was a godly preacher, he'd at least ask you if you were saved. But a lot of times they didn't. That's why a seminary professor said, man, it's easier to join the church than it is the Kiwanis Club. You just walk down and say, just as I am, without one plea, I'm here to sign Form 103. I understand that lunch is free. I come. (laughs) In our church, we have a membership process that you go through, a a membership class, and we ask you to sign a covenant. And I'm going to just tell you, we got thousands of members. It's obvious a lot of people don't see this as a covenant. They don't participate. They don't don't serve. They don't give. They don't make that difference. But it's not just church. It's every area of your life. It's, it's every relationship where, where you begin to deal with people, seeing them not as a business exchange, but as a biblical relationship based in covenant love. Where do we go from here? Well, I told you we we're going to say some hard things. The Bible has more to say. Malachi, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, says God hates divorce. I'm just telling you, scripture is clear on this issue. There's not room. But let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God hates a divorced person. See, the religious leaders were doing something that we religious people can sometimes do. They were focusing on the problem of sin. And Jesus did what Jesus always does. He focused on the pursuit of holiness. And that's what I want you to hear today. Regardless of what you've been through. Regardless of what's in the rearview mirror. You know, there's a reason in our car, you've got that tiny rearview mirror, and then you've got that big old windshield, because where we're going matters more than just where we've been, right? So where, how do we go forward? How do we, how do we lean in on Jesus, this better way? The way of Jesus is the, the better way. If you're here and you've been through the pain of divorce, let me just tell you, that doesn't mean God's done with you. 
This is not a church that preaches that. And if, if you've been to a church or a, a re, part of a religious group that treats you that way, that if you've been through that painful experience of divorce, that there's nothing you can do in his body and his family, that I'm so sorry. And you've been told wrong because the teaching of Jesus regularly uses examples even like this to show us that's not the case. I wish I had time just to go through them. I don't, but let me just refer to them. John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. She's needy. He sees her need. She wants more. And so Jesus says to her, go get your husband. She says, ah, that's going to be a problem. And Jesus says, I know. You've had five husbands, and this guy you're shacking up with, he's not your husband. And so he then begins to tell her what we have sung in popular music. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places. You've been looking for love in too many faces. But he teaches her about covenant love. Then you flip over to John chapter 8. And these men, people that would be like deacons and preachers, they drag this half-naked woman or perhaps all-naked woman into the street. And, and they say, Jesus, this woman's been caught in adultery. She needs to be stoned. And after after contact with Jesus, instead of having stones hurled in her direction, she, she was covered up in grace. Oh, Jesus told her, you need to get up and you need to stop doing what you've been doing. Stop this sinful lifestyle. But this is not the end. You say, Pastor, I've been divorced and now I'm remarried. What do I do? Well, I, I know this. <laughs> you, you're not going to fix a covenant that's been broken by breaking another covenant. So you may need to make amends if that's possible. And it's not always possible. That's a whole other message. But, but you may need to do something. But if you're in a covenant relationship now, you focus on that covenant relationship. Here's, here's what I want you to take away. If the worst sinner who's ever lived can be redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, then the worst marriage that's ever existed can be redeemed by that same power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to give up. I just told you part of the story. We display this this window because it does remind us of a sweet time in our ministry. But I can't look at it without it reminding me of a hard time in our marriage. You see, even though we grew up in a, in a Christian home, we entered marriage like everybody enters marriage. Two sinful people. And the truth is, early in our marriage, we began to realize that without God's grace, our failures would destroy us. When I look at this, I, I think about a hard time in our marriage. But I think about God's grace. I think about God's goodness. I think about God's provision in our life that has allowed us now to celebrate 30 years together. You see, what does a stained glass window do? If there's no light, stained glass can be just a dark, ugly window. But when light shines through, what is dark becomes beautiful. You know, in our lives, in your lives, there are some dark spots. But what Jesus constantly reminds us 
is thanks to his goodness and grace, our darkness can be overcome by his light. I'm so thankful that God allowed us to make a conscious decision to pursue covenant love in spite of our failures. And he could do the same for you, friend. So what it'll be? What will it be? Is your life a worthy display of God's covenant love in your marriage, in your relationships with others? In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And I want you to sit on this reality. Jesus was making it clear. His way is different. But his way is better. You got to learn to trust his way. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.